<laughs> all right, welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome all those watching us by live stream. We would hope, pray that you would share the stream with us this morning. Thank you for being here and taking the time to listen to what the Lord has. And grateful for all of you being here this morning as well. God has something to say with you. Jesus has something for me today. That's right. Come with expectation. Always have expectation. You come with your basket empty, the Lord will fill it. Say, all I got is a little bit. It doesn't matter. He'll multiply it. We're doing a, a series on servitude because we're doing a ministry rally and we want to involve you in ministry. We want to involve you in some, give you some opportunities to serve in church. Uh, the reality is, is that every Christian has a ministry. We're all called to be ministers, all of you. Say, no, pastor, that's your job. I'm like, who told you that? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible tells us that we have a ministry of reconciliation, that we're called as ministers to the world around us to bring people to Christ, to reconcile people towards Jesus. And then the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to work the ministry. And so the job of the Christian is to participate in the things that God is doing. Something happens to you when you serve. You become transformed. Something happens to you when you give yourself into the things that God has, even if it seems insignificant. We're all called to be servants. Matthew 13, 12 says, when Jesus had finished washing their feet. Now there's a servant for you. King of glory washing feet. What's that all about? That's crazy. Jesus said, I did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve. It says, after he finished washing their feet, he put, he put the rest of his clothes back on, his outer garments. He put his outer garments back on and returned to his place at the table. And he looked at them and he says, do you understand what I've just done for you? Do you have a comprehension of what just took place here? And he says, you call me teacher and Lord and you say rightly, for I am. And he says, but now I, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Therefore, you also need to wash each other's feet. It's talking about servitude. Washing the feet of a person is the lowest form of servitude. It mean, that's what the, 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 when you would come into a house and it would be filled with servants, the one, you know, kind of the Cinderella of all the servants was the guy that was sent or the woman or whoever was sent to wash the feet. You know, the one that didn't have any regard within the house, the lowest of the servant washed feet. And Jesus took on the lowest position of the servant. Jesus's attitude and the, the king of glory came down to get beneath us in order to lift us up. Everything he did, he came beneath your life. You know, the devil lies and says the, the Lord is trying to put, keep you down. That is completely not true. The devil's a liar, has been so from the beginning. Everything the Lord is doing is to get underneath your life and lift it up. God is calling you. He's elevating your life. That's his desire, is to elevate you into the purpose of your creation. And he gives us a model of servitude. And servitude comes right against ego. Right? Servitude confronts our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is ego. Ego. I'm too good for that. I'm not doing that. No, oh no, not me. We're worried about appearances or we're worried about some form of dignity that we're trying to preserve. Man's problem is ego. The Bible says that God resists the proud and exalts the humble. Jesus said, if a man will lose his life for my sake, they will find it. But if you desire to preserve it, 
Keep it to yourself with ego, you will lose it. That's not just related to salvation. That's related to every area of your life. That's what he's talking about. He says, now that I speak to you and I call you Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet. Therefore, you should wash one another's feet. I have done this for you. Everybody say, as an example. I have done this for you as an example that you should do as I have done. For I tell you that a servant is not greater than, your, than his master. If Jesus does it, we're to do it. If Jesus takes the lowest position, then we're to do it. You say, I don't like it. It's humiliating. Servitude is humiliating. That's when you know you're humble. Do you know what hum humility looks like? Humility and humiliation are, are rooted in the same word. Humility. Servitude, doing what you don't want to do, right? Some of you are like servants and you're like, yeah, man, I don't care, man. I serve Jesus all in, I want it all. But the bigger problem is the ego, right? People holding back with ego. And we have no excuse to hold back with ego. We have no excuse. What we're really doing is we're, we're inhibiting the flow of God's work in our lives with our own ego. Your ego becomes a barrier to your destiny. And anything that is a barrier to your destiny, you want to get rid of it. Cast aside every weight that does so easily beset us. Let us run the race that is before us endurance, with endurance. Let us press towards the upward calling that's in Christ Jesus. Anything that gets in the way, you want to get rid of it. And if my ego's in the way, then by all means, Lord, take it away. I don't want it. I will become the chief servant if necessary. Says he's commanding us. So what we need to understand the comprehension of servitude needs to be understood is that every Christian is called a servant. We're sons and daughters, but we're sons and daughters that serve the will of our father. We are about our father's business. We don't serve our own agenda. We serve his and we take our agendas. We have agendas, but the idea is to take your agenda and put it into his agenda. That's how it works and serve your agenda serves his agenda. It's not the other way around. The American church likes to teach you that God's going to serve your agenda. That's not gospel. That's not kingdom. It doesn't work like that. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, right? Isn't that, how, isn't that what he said? And say, well, God's going to get on your, your God's going to submit your plan and God's going to get on your plan. No, take your plan, submit your plan, but make your plan conform to his plan. Integrate your plan with his. Submit your plan to his. My plan sub submits itself and serves his plan. And something powerful happens when my plan serves his plan. Suddenly, his plan starts serving my plan. It's an amazing thing. When I serve his plan, his plan serves my plan. It's crazy how that works. It's counterintuitive to what we know. It says, now, now, that, you, now that you know these things, blessed are you. Everybody say, blessed are you if you do them. So he's teaching them. And he's telling them, listen, you guys want to know what greatness in the kingdom looks like? It's least of these. It's not, oh, I'm just such a pathetic person. It's no, I use my status and my position to serve. And the more you serve, the greater your status and position becomes. And the more you use your status and position to serve, the greater your status and position becomes. He says, you know, the Gentiles lord their positions over them. He said, this should not be with you. The world, the culture, I'm CEO, you guys all take care of me. That's not how it works. God's design within the church is that it's servitude. My job is to serve you and call you unto your destiny. Call you unto your purpose. Tell you things lovingly, graciously, encouragingly. But even if you don't like it, I'm supposed to tell you. I'm not supposed to hold it back. I'm supposed to tell you. 
Like, I don't like the fact that I'm called a servant. Oh, well, I didn't write the book, right? This isn't my plan. I didn't lay this out. <laughs> but there's something transformative about being a servant. He says, you would, if, now that you understand servitude or you understand this concept that if Jesus got there, then why do, why do I care? If Jesus did it, then why do I care? You're not belittling yourself by serving the children. You're not belittling yourself by serving the media. You're not belittling yourself by serving in these areas. You're not, you're not you know, you're actually exalting yourself in the eyes of the Lord. It's crazy how it works. Servitude begins in and through the church. God's created us as a body. The body is to serve, it, serve one another. We're called to serve together as a body. We're, not in, we're individuals, but we are collectively part of a whole. Romans 12.5 says, Each of us finds meaning and function as a part of the body of Christ. Our meaning and function as a believer is found in part of the body of Christ. Some of you, you want ministry or you want God's blessing or you want whatever it is that God is asking of you in your life. It's going to begin through servitude. God is going to bring you into some process of servitude. Anytime you ask him for something, he's going to bring you into servitude because that's the channel of avenue. It's not because he's trying to diminish you. It's because he's trying to exalt you. He brings you into a position of servitude. And in that servitude, the relationship, you don't do it for the church. Here's the attitudes that are often wrong with servitude. So if you're doing, if you're doing Pastor Kevin a favor, there's no reward on that. If you're doing Elevate a favor, there's no reward on that either. I mean, we appreciate the favor. We're grateful for it. I certainly am, right? But if you do it for the Lord, that's where the reward is. We don't do it because of, because of need. We don't do it because the church needs it or let me do the pastor a favor. You know, that's what happens a lot of times in servitude. People serve, but they're serving because the church wants them to. Or they're serving because the need is demanding it. Serve because Jesus has commanded you to do it. And as a servant, I always used to find the greatest area of need and that's where I would step in. Yeah. And call me the fireman. <laughs> I used to be like, put Kevin on it. He'll do it. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. Everybody else was above it. I'm like, I'm not above it. I'm not above it. I'll serve. I'll do it. I don't know what I'm doing, but Jesus does. That's what I used to tell myself. I don't have a clue, but he does. He knows. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. We're called to serve together as a body. Say it with me. Jesus uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And it all begins with servitude. Teams are important, so I want to talk to you about teamwork today, what it looks like to be a part of a team, because we're all part to work. We, we can't do everything together. We have to work as a team. The church has to function as a body, and the teams have to work together, and you need to learn how to play on a team, right? Team. <laughs> Some of you, they're very individualistic. It's very hard to work on a team, but you're supposed to work on a team. Again, there's certain things that end up happening in your life when you learn to work on a team. You can take this message and you can apply it to, to marriages. You can take this message and apply. How many knows that marriages are supposed to be a team? I don't know if you know that or not. Yes, mm -hmm. it's a team. <laughs> Try being a dictator in your relationship, guys. It's not going to work. It will not end well, I can assure you of that. Uh, but we're supposed to be a team. Families are supposed to be a team. And so these are elements that are necessary for teams to work. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we partner together as partners who belong to God. So we're partnering together for the Lord. That's the idea. 
What does it take to be part of a team? So I'm gonna give you some elements. If you're gonna be a part of a team, the biggest thing you need to have is trustworthiness. I'm gonna do T-E-A-M, right? I don't always have, do spelling on Sunday mornings, but today we're gonna do a spelling lesson. Team, you have to have team, you have to have trustworthiness. You need to be trustworthy. Some of you are gonna amen this. Proverbs 26 says, many people claim to be loyal, but it is very hard to find a trustworthy person. Amen. All right, it's very hard. Bible told, Paul told Timothy, commit these things to faithful people who will be able to do it and multiply it, teach others. So it's very hard. So one of the things when, you're, when, you're on, when you come, become part of a team, you need to be trustworthy. Everybody say, do, do what I say. Try it. Do what you say you're going to do. Not what I say, but if you commit to it, be trustworthy and do what you commit to do. Anybody like people who don't do what they say? Anybody? Right? <laughs> you, you, you don't like people to do what they say or you do like people? You do. Yeah. So like what happens, like we do this thing called Strength Finders. And in Strength Finders, um, uh, well, we haven't done it in a while, but you'll learn like your five like key strengths, the, 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 the way that you, it's, there, some of them are thinking, most of them are thinking, or the way that your life operates are based on a handful of things. And you begin to discover things about yourself. And one of them, uh, one, of the, one of the strengths is responsibility. And responsibility, people that have high levels of responsibility or they have an into, uh, like they're designed with responsibility, we all can be responsible, right? But there are, God's wired us all in different ways. Can we agree with that? We're all wired differently. And, and because in, like in strength finders, you'll see how God has wired you. There's a wiring that takes place in you. There's motives that you are driven by. There are ways that you live through, right? And, so, and one of the strengths is, is responsibility. And, it, and I'll just be in the room and I'll say, oh, who has responsibility? You know, who had responsibility on the thing? People raise their hands and I'll look right at them and I'll say, how do you feel about people that don't do what they say? And every single one of them will go, oh my gosh, I can't stand it. I hate it when people don't do what they say. They go crazy, right? Because that's, that's a core value to someone that, that's wired with responsibility. But it's, it's, an ascent, it's essential to trust. We have to be able to do what we say we're going to do. When you realize one of the things that happens when you begin to serve the Lord, and in particular, you know, we all serve God, but we're looking at serving God in our personal lives. God's called us to serve together in community, and you're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged with inconvenience. You're going to be challenged with a lot of things. And the reason that God, that God uses ministry is because he's really trying to examine your life. He's really trying to mold through your life in order that he can entrust you with more things. Everybody wants the goodness, the glory, the weight of God, but their character cannot sustain it. And so the thing that God wants to give you requires that your character be built, requires that your character have a foundation under it, that there be strength. And without the strength of character, the weight of God's goodness will collapse you. You see it all the time, right? See it all the time. People that don't have the character inbuilt when the goodness of God comes on their life, it destroys them destroys them because they don't have the character by which to sustain the very thing that God wants to give them. So if you realize that God is always actively trying and working in your life to build your character, then it matters. We think he's trying to build our comfort. The Lord's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. Your comfort, I know this is hard. We're Americans, right? An American church is all about comfort, you know? But that's not, again, that's not gospel, God's not, a, he, it's not that he doesn't care, he doesn't want you comfortable, but that's not his priority. 
His priority is not your comfort. His priority is your character. He has no issue making you uncomfortable if it means building your character. If it means making you stronger, making you humble, making you more clearer in your direction of your life, he has no issues making you uncomfortable. No issues. <laughs> like, Jesus wouldn't make me uncomfortable? What? Who told you that? Because again, why is he doing it? He's doing it to build your character. Why does he want you to have a stronger character? Because he wants to put weight on your life. And if you can't prove trustworthiness, and God says every time I give you an assignment, you don't do it. Or every time I put you in a position and tell you to do something, and I come back to give you the next instruction, and you're gone, I can't do anything with you. And so one of the ways we build, servant, we build character, one of the ways we build trustworthiness is as simple as signing up and being involved in a ministry at the church. It's as simple as that. Because your motive is based on your heart. You show up at work because your boss is throwing down the check. If your boss didn't pay you, most people wouldn't show up. So you have a motivation there that's not necessarily willful. It's need-driven. When you serve Jesus and you serve through the church, you're doing it because you want to. And you're having to, con ready? I mean, it's gonna get real time now. You're doing it because you have to confront yourself all the time and do the very thing you don't wanna do. You have to do it. Servitude, listen, servitude isn't easy. It, it's, it's not. So if you serve all the time, most of the time you're going to feel like you don't have an issue with it, but you're going to be confronted with times that are very inconvenient for you. You're going to be time confronted with times, and here again, here's another American culture, you're going to be confronted with things that you don't feel like doing. We train a generation, and we train it even within our churches, that if you don't feel like it, you don't have to do it. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It really doesn't. I don't feel like it. I didn't do it. Jesus didn't ask me about my feelings. He's not talking to me about my feelings. He didn't say, Kevin, do you feel like it? Do you feel like it? Are you up for it this morning? Do you feel like it? No, he says, be faithful in season and out. Thank you. Do it when you want to, when the winds are favorable, and do it when the winds are unfavorable. That's faithfulness. So trustworthiness matters. If you're going to be a part of a team, take it seriously. That's the next thing. Why? Because people are counting on you. Paul told Timothy, guard. Everybody say guard. What has been entrusted to you with your care. To your care. When God, Paul is talking to Timothy, who's serving these people in Ephesus, and he's serving this church, and Paul is saying, guard what's been given to you. The servitude by which you operate from is a trust. It's a trust. You don't have to, you get to. And the Lord is saying, take it seriously, Timothy. Guard it, protect it. Don't, don't treat this thing as insignificant. Guard it, it because it's been entrusted to you. A trust has been committed to you. And into that trust, God will examine you based upon the trust that has been given to you. And that examination looks like this. If you can't be found trustworthy with little, you will never be trusted with much. If you cannot demonstrate faithfulness in insignificant things, the Lord is saying you will never be trusted with significant things. If you cannot be trusted in the small, you cannot be trusted in the great. So the first word is teamwork, right? Teamwork. And teamwork is trustworthiness. That's the first part. Being trustworthy, doing what you're saying, showing up, taking it seriously, disciplining yourself, realizing that discipline isn't torture, discipline is development. Eh? 
It's not because he's torturing you. It's about being developed. And the second one is E is empathetic. Oh, empathy. What's that all about? So sympathy is me understanding you from my point of view, right? That's sympathy. Empathy is understanding the other person from their point of view. Big difference, right? So we understand people, so we get sympathetic and we understand it as we perceive it. Empathy is understanding it from, their per from how they perceive it. Sitting where the other person sits, understanding where the other person is coming from. This again, works out in teamwork pretty big. The Bible says, uh, James 1.19, being quick to listen and slow to speak. A person's thoughts, Proverbs 20, are deep water and a deep well. Someone with insight draws them out. Empathy makes collaboration easier. A lot of times when you're working together, we can do this in the, in the family, you know? It's like if you look at like even a relationship of any kind, it's like if you understand where the other person is coming from and their point of view and why they want to do it, you're, it's much easier to collaborate with that person. If you only can see your point of view and your point of view isn't the, is the only one that matters, then there's, not, there's almost going to be no collaboration. And so you have to have empathy and understanding. So what, when you work with a team, different people, are, say with me, different people are going to have different points of view, right? And so the, the, the way that teamwork works is trying to understand where the other person is coming from. It doesn't mean you agree with where the other person is coming from. So again, here's strength finders. Another strength is empathy. People that have empathy can understand how a person is feeling without them ever talking. That's a strength called empathy. You completely understand what that person is dealing with, and you don't even, it doesn't mean you agree with it, but you understand what they're feeling. Empathy, again, is a strength, right? And empathy, but we have to have empathy, particularly if we're working with teams. We have to try to understand where the person is coming from if we're going to work with them. That's the idea. Empathy can lead to a unified solution for all parties. <laughs> I'll give you one. I'll give you a marriage one. So I'm a vacation guy, and when I go, like, when I go on vacation, I want to lay at the pool. This is what I want to do, right? I'm thinking bathrobe, you know, maybe a little Mai Tai down there with the pool and the waterfall. You know, that's me. I'm chill. I'm cool. I could do that all day for 10 days. Sherry, when she goes on vacation, where are we? Oh, there's so many things to do here. There's so many places to see. Let's go. And so we had conflict, a lot of it. Because I want to chill at the pool, right? That's me. She wants to see all of the sights in the 10-mile radius of where we are. She wants to go to all of that. And so we would have conflict until finally we started understanding where the other person was coming from. Okay? And so as I began to understand this is what matters to her, and this is what matters to me, she began to understand that, we reached a unified solution. So the agreement would be, if you get up at eight o'clock and go with me, we'll be back by two and you can have the whole afternoon. I was like, what? I can do that. And instead of going to war with each other, you know, we're on vacation and you don't wanna do anything. I'm like, I don't. That's my idea of vacation. Do nothing. I do nothing. I want to float on a raft, you know? I mean, I, just, I don't know. I want to listen to birds. I, I don't know. Do nothing. Her, she wants to experience everything. She wants to draw it all in. And so we reached that conclusion, an empathetic, unified decision. When I understood, okay, this matters to her. 
And I'm like, man, I can't. It, in, my, in my mind, so what I'm understanding her is that we're going to be gone till six or seven o'clock at night. I'm going to come back here exhausted. I'm going to be burnt out. I'm going to crash. I'm going to get up and we're going to go do this again. That's my understanding. I'm like, this is not vacation to me. And her understanding is I'm going to miss out on all of this. You know, there's so much excitement around me. There's so many things to do. There's all these different things. I, and, and all he wants to do is lay at the pool at the hotel. And my answer to that was, yes, I do. Right. So I, want, I was like, I want a resort hotel. That's what I want to go. Yeah. She's like, we don't need to stay in a resort hotel. We'd have that argument, too, because she her. It was like, let's stay in a hotel that's just easy access so that we can go do things. And my thing was, let's stay at a hotel that has a killer coffee bar. I can cruise by there, go to the pool, has a waterfall with rapids, and I can just swim, right? I can just have a bathrobe, get, put that Terry bathrobe on and walk down to the pool like I'm boss. That's me, right? <laughs> and so we had to come to a unified decision on that. But it was from understanding where each other's coming from, knowing what matters to her, knowing what matters to me. That's how teamwork, empathy, not seeing it from my perspective. My perspective is this is what she wants. Empathetically, it's like, OK, what is it exactly that you want? How can we work this out? What do you want? You want to see things. Great. I want to lay at the pool. And she, being the genius that she is, uh, had said, well, why don't you get up at eight o'clock? We'll go out till two. We'll be back by two. She's like, we'll go look around, we'll do whatever, we'll have lunch, then we'll come back and we'll be back at the hotel by two and we'll be good. And I was like, that works. I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> we have to have empathy towards other people if we're going to work with them. Right? So let me say this. Empathy requires sometimes that we slow down. So now I'm going to step on some people's toes here in a second. So if, if we're going to have empathy, sometimes we have to slow down in order to get the, get the read on what everybody else is on where everybody else is coming from. But, everybody say, but fast moving teams and fast moving situations are not conducive to empathy. In other words, when things got to get done, feelings are going to get crushed. Oh my gosh, I can't believe nobody considered what I was thinking because we had something to get done, right? So, when it, so empathy is important, but sometimes stuff's got to get done. And when stuff's got to get done, we don't have time to consider everybody's feelings. And so when you're working with a team, and particularly ministry, right? <laughs> oh, I don't want to go there. Anyway, I was thinking again about my marriage. But the, uh, because I'm like, where is this in my life? I'm like, it's right here. So, uh, but like when you're, when you're working with a team and things got to get done, it's not, and, and there's a schedule to keep or there's an objective to achieve and there's not a lot of time. In that, because of that, there's not a lot of room for empathy. So empathy is important, but empathy can't dominate. Empathy is just a tool within the, within the constructs of teams working together. Sometimes doesn't, your feelings aren't going to be considered. Sometimes <laughs> you have to just do it because it needs to get done. So that's important as well. Accommodation is the A. Accommodation, what does that mean? It means you have to accommodate other people. Not just being empathetic and understanding where they're coming from, but having an accommodation. Be faithful and loving and easy to get along with. Well, what do we accommodate if we work together and serve together in a team? Ready? This is good. We, we have to accommodate each other's personalities. I don't know if you know this or not, but not everybody's like you. <laughs> not everybody's like you. We assume and presume people are supposed to be like us. They're not. God in his kindness has given each one of us different gifts. Romans 12. 
There's different types of personalities. Here's fun. Here's four of them. Like a task-driven personality. So we're going to say, we're going to go to Orlando. The task person would say this, what are we going to do there? What is the objective of us going to Orlando? That's the task-driven personality. The fun-driven personality would be like, wow, wouldn't it be great if, you know, always coming up with all of these different things to throw into the equation. The thinker would go, now why are we going there in the first place? And I really need to understand if we need to go there, if we really actually even need there to go there at all. You know, the inquisitor, the one that questions everything. Then you have the peacemaker that wants to take the whole group and says, now is everybody okay with us all going to Orlando? Is that okay? <laughs> Anybody have any negative feelings on that? So all of those things are important, but you're going to be dealing with different personalities. I would probably say the most insensitive one is the task-driven. Because it's goal, exactly. Take the hill. Take the hill. Because the objective becomes the only goal. It's only the objective. And so the, the, typically the guy that's task-driven is the one that makes stuff happen, but they're oftentimes not too considerate. They're not very considerate people. You're like, that's my husband. That's my wife. That's my neighbor. That's me. You know? So to understand that, that's what's going on. And, uh, you know, and then you understand that peop what, what's happening like with different personalities, we have to be accommodating. We should probably do strength finders. That will probably help some people understand each other. But you have to be accommodating of different personalities. Right? It's not always about the task. Sometimes it is about the why. It's not always about the task. Sometimes it is about fun. It's not always about the task. Sometimes it is about harmony. Harmony needs to be considered sometimes. Fun is an element that needs to be considered. The why behind the what is important too. So you have to be accommodating to people's perspectives, insights, personalities. You have to be accommodating to people's weaknesses and faults. What? The first person you need to accommodate weakness and faults with is yourself. You have to get past this self-condemnation thing, right? Say it with me, I do the best I can. Come on, I do the best I can in the situation I'm in with the tools that I have available. This doesn't mean, come on, this doesn't mean that what I do is right, but it means it's understood. And if it's understood, it can be forgiven. And if it can be forgiven, it can be released. Therefore, I willfully choose to forgive myself that's right. You have to forgive yourself. It's not, you're doing, if you honestly can say, I do the best that I can in the situation I am with, with what I had available, that, that's all the Lord expects. Doesn't mean that what happened turned out to your benefit. Doesn't mean that what happened turned out to your good. Doesn't mean that even the decision that you made in that circumstance was necessarily right. But you did the best you could with what you had, with the tools that you had in the moment that you were in. That's understanding. Understanding is the foundation of forgiveness. People can't forgive because they don't understand why it happened to them. If they, understanding is the foundation of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Understanding. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Understanding is the foundation of forgiveness. So we have to, we have to be tolerant of each other's weakness and faults. So people that have weaknesses and faults, these are discipleship issues. Your weaknesses and your faults are discipleship issues. They're areas of your life that are not congruent with what God wants. Either it's an issue of discipline, it's an issue of ignorance where you don't know, it's an issue of arrogance where you don't care, you know, 
or it's an issue of some, there's something dysfunctional within you that needs to get set right that prevents you from doing the things that God has laid before you. But either way, your weaknesses are discipleship issues. Yeah? Your weaknesses don't define you. They are issues in your life that need to be addressed, but they're not your identity. Here's another one. <laughs> you have to be ready. This is going to hurt the alphas. You're going to, you have to be accommodating to the fact that you just might not be in charge. <gasps> People have a hard time with that, right? You have to be accommodating when you're working with a team that you're not in charge of this thing. And so your job is not to be in charge. If you're in this team, the person that's in charge is that's their job. Your job is to facilitate the goal and the vision of the team that's set forth by the leader. That's what God expects. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and yield it to them for they are watching over your souls and they will have to give an account because there's the argument. Well, if I have to obey them, then what if they're wrong? If I have to obey them, then what if they do something? They don't, they're not right. Then the Lord says they're going to give an account. Leadership is doubly accountable. You think you're accountable. The leaders are doubly accountable. And it says, but yield and submit and obey your leaders with joy. Not complaining, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, complaining doesn't work. It never produces what you want. So in other words, yield to the fact that you're not in charge. Just do it. It's maybe, you may feel uncomfortable. You may feel not right. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Bible says this, if you cannot serve in that which is another's, how will anybody give you what belongs to you? If you cannot serve into, the, into what belongs to someone else, you cannot build up something that belongs to someone else. And you know when God really tests you with that is when you don't want to. You're building into something that you don't want to build into, but though you know the Lord has told you to do it. And why is he doing that? Because he's testing you. If you will not learn submissiveness in leadership, you will not qualify for leadership in the kingdom. If you will not learn servitude in leadership, in, 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 to leadership, you yourself will never qualify. If you don't know how to serve, you can't lead in Jesus's kingdom. It's the way it works. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm talking about where the anointing is. We want the anointing on what God is doing. You can do a lot of things through human effort, but that doesn't mean the Lord's anointing is on it. Big difference. The M, last one, M, move, everybody say with me, move with common mission, right? So we're called to unite with an overall goal. So as a body of Christ, as Christians, we're to unite together with the overall goal of the church and the overall goal of the ministry team in which you're serving. So what's the overall goal? Well, they're going to define it for you. The overall goal is the guests get the best. That's the greeter team. That's the overall goal. What's the overall goal of the, the, the media team? What's the overall goal of these things? Whatever the overall goal of the church is, then the overall goal of, the, of what the team is, get involved in that and yield. Move with the same mission. God says this multiple times. Be of the same mind. Maintain love. Unite in spirit and be intentional with one purpose. Well, there's a lot right there. It says, be of same mind. Be of the same mind. Agree, that, agree to disagree, but agree that this is about this. This isn't about this. This is about this. So be of the same mind. Maintain love. Everybody say it with me. Keep your love on. You got to keep your love on. All right? Maintain love. Love's work. What's love? Seeking the highest good. Maintain the attitude that your job is to love. And love means to seek the betterment of the other. You have to maintain that. 
That attitude is not easy to hang on to. Can I get a witness? Thank you. I got one. I got an honest guy right here. So being, maintaining the attitude of love and maintaining the attitude that my job is to love and love is about the, is seeking the highest good of the Lord and seeking the highest good of the other. That's what he's saying. Maintain that attitude. Realize it's not about you. It's about serving the common good, serving the common purpose. Work towards the common work towards the common goal. Be unite in spirit. The idea there, uniting in spirit, is again, it's about what the Lord wants. It's the unity of the spirit, the oneness of mind and heart that comes to from the Lord. We, we're working towards the Lord's agenda and not our own. It doesn't mean our thoughts and ideas aren't part of the equation. Your thoughts and ideas are part of the equation, but the overall goal is not preserving human perspectives. The overall goal is not retaining the denominational standards. The overall goal is bringing forth the kingdom, what the Lord wants. That's the idea. Be in, and, and be intentional with one purpose. Commit yourself to working towards one purpose. So this is what it means to work with a team. We have to be willing to have the kind of attitude when we serve that we have, it's not going to be easy. The Bible says where their people are, it says this, where there are, uh, uh, where there are no oxen, the stables are clean, but much is accomplished through a team of oxen. If there were no people, there wouldn't be any mess. That's what basically the scripture is saying. But much is accomplished through teamwork. Much is accomplished when people come together. Much is accomplished. It's, you know why it's going to be messy? Say it with me. Teamwork, teamwork. is messy. That's true. Why, where do we see team? We have family. It's messy. Wife, kids, messy. Right? It's messy because people are involved, but much strength is accomplished because of that. So we need to keep that in mind. And it's the, the difficulty is in working with people. The biggest person you got to work with is yourself. You have to be accommodating. You have to be intentional. You have to be empathetic. You have to do what you say. You have to learn to manage yourself. You have to learn to manage yourself. That's what it looks like. Live in a way that brings honor to the Lord, Philippians 1.27. Standing with one purpose, working together as a, for one faith towards the gospel, the good news. This is another thing. Don't go rogue. Last one. Don't go rogue. <laughs> yeah. Don't go rogue. Well, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's a big misnomer. God, we, 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 have, we can be way more effective working together than we ever can be individually. There's a story of two, two, I don't know what the weight was, but I know it was almost three to four times the capacity. It might have even been six times the capacity. They had one plow horse that was pulling weight, you know, so they used to do these things. And where I grew up, I grew up in the, I grew up in the country, and they would have uh, tractor pulls. Well, back in the day, they didn't have tractor pulls. They had like horse pulls, all right? So they'd have the horse that would pull the weight, and the horse that could pull the most weight was the winner, and so then they would take, they took this one horse and they thought, well, if we team it with this other horse, we should be able to pull double the weight. Well, they were able to play, I think it was four or five times the weight when two just worked together. It wasn't even double the capacity. It was four and five times the capacity. You know, together, when we work together, we're force multipliers. We can multiply. We can get way more done. God, nobody has, has it all. No one has the entire set of skills that are necessary for life. No one has the entire set of skills necessary for, for the kingdom. No one, but with, together we can. That's why the church is, co is called to be like something like nothing else. Because we work together. It's what we're supposed to do. You know, not in for the common goal is for the common goal of Jesus. 
says this last verse, Philippians 2.2. 2, it says, complete my joy, joy by being what? Of the same mind. Have the unity of the mind. This is the same verse, the couple verses down, where he says, put the mind of a servant in you. The same mind that was in Jesus, put it in you. Pound it in your head. That's what he says. Have the same love, the same desire to benefit one another. Be of the same mind and have the desire to take each other to another level. Be of the same mind and realize that my love towards you is to make your life better in any way I can, to help you and to move you forward in any way that I can. Be full of, be full and be full of a, being in full accord and again of one mind. Do nothing. Everybody say, do nothing. Here's our enemy. Our enemy as a believer, your number one enemy is ego. And if you can understand that ego is not your friend, ego is your enemy. Ego does not like to die, but ego must die if Christ is to live. The thing that suppresses Jesus and the flow of the Spirit in our life is ego, selfish ambition, self-will, an unwillingness to humble yourself in truth. That's what, that's what keeps you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility, willfully serve others and view them as more significant than your own selfish desires. Where envy and self-seeking are, right? Where is confusion, where does confusion come from? I'll give you a little help here, right? You have a lot of confusion in your life. I'm confused, I'm just confused. Well then my question would be, where is the envy and where is the self-seeking? Somewhere in there, you're seeking a selfish will for the positive or for the negative. You, God may say this and you say this, so you're pushing your selfish will out, therefore you're confused. Where there is envy and self-seeking, there is confusion in every form of evil. Not just confusion, but evil. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. If envy and self-seeking bring confusion and evil, then I don't want anything to do with envy and self-seeking. I bless you all. <laughs> Are you envious? No. What God does for one, he'll do for another. He's no respecter of persons. I'm celebrated. I have no envy. I have no envy. That's another story. I could teach on that, but I'm not going to do that. So we do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. We're of one mind. We live in a way that brings honor towards others, maintaining the unity of the spirit. And so we're going to break out here in a couple minutes um, to do the ministry rally. So the ministry rally people, you can get ready. But I want to talk to the people that are watching us by live stream. I want you to know that you matter. I want you to know that you're watching this message. And there's a reason why you're watching this message is because Jesus loves you. God is for you. If you're a Christian, God has hope for you. God has a new day for you. His mercies are new every morning. He's got a new beginning for you. To tomorrow you're, can be different than today. God's got something really good for you. And so my, my thing to you would be to reach into the things that God has called you to be, to begin to partner with the things that God has laid before you. And as you do that, this kingdom becomes more real to you as you give yourself to it. As you lean in and begin to follow the things of the Lord, your life will transform. To those of you that don't know Jesus, Jesus served you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Christ died for you in an act of servitude to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And if you don't know Jesus, I would say this, that God loves you. You say, I don't even know who God is. I'm way far from God if there even is a God. I would say this to you in the book of Jeremiah. The Bible says this. God says, I love you from afar with an everlasting love. My love, my desire to seek your benefit, my desire to seek your good is towards you, 
Even though you're distant from me, I'm for you. Even though you're against me, I'm still for you. Even though you don't know me, I know you. And the Bible says that he woos us to himself. He calls us to himself with mercy. He woos himself to, he calls us to himself with kindness. Lord says, come to me and I will speak kindly to you. God's desire is that you not run from him, is that you run to him. God's desire is that you, when you come to him, his, his desire for you is kindness, kindness, restoration, not destruction, hope, not despair, life, and not death. And so God has something for you this morning. If you don't know him, he loves you. And today's your day. The Bible tells us another story. It tells us that when we have the opportunity to receive Jesus, we are not to harden our heart because we're not guaranteed another moment. The Bible says, do not harden your heart in rebellion. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Jesus said, if I stand at the door and knock, open the door to me and I will come in. I will save you. I will forgive you. I will restore you. I'll set your life right. All of us have the sin problem. Every one of us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's goodness. And his desire is to give us life. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to die as you. He came to die for your sins because you can't pay for your sins. An eternal God had to come down. God as man. Right? And he had to give his life away for you. And the Bible says if you'll believe in this and you'll confess this with your mouth openly, that he will receive you as his child. He will adopt you into his family. He will forgive your sins and he will set your life on a course of of purpose, of destiny, and he will endow you with an inheritance. And if you've never done that before, today's your day. This is, not the, this is the offer you do not refuse. This isn't the offer you think about. This is the offer you run to. This is a once-in-a-lifetime offer. This is an offer that for a 40-second prayer will transform your life eternally. And so I just want to invite you, I want to challenge you, I want to compel you. If you've never asked Christ in your heart and, you've, and you're not really sure you did or you think you did and you're not really sure, well, be sure. This isn't, again, this isn't something we play at or guess at. Make your calling and election sure, the Bible says. Make sure it's sure. And so let's just pray. We're going to pray and all I ask you to do is open your heart and open your mouth and say the words. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a savior. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we celebrate that with you. You Please contact us. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you and, and be communicative on that as well. You can hit us up in the live stream, Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. I think it's on the bottom of the screen. You can send us that way, and we'd love to connect with you a little bit further. But we're going to end the stream. We're going to bless you one more time. Elevate, we have a prayer team available. And then we have ministry rally going on over here. And so, but let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen.